You're listening to the Call Me Mr. You, the podcast, your new home for inspiration, family, sports conversations, and a lot of other stuff. We're your all-purpose pod for an all-purpose life and your weekly mirror check before you go change the world, baby. Enjoy the show. On the next episode of They Call Me Mr. You, we're going to discuss the three most ass words in all of biblical history. You could have had a warrior or a scholar or a royal, but you picked a tent maker, a farmer, a fisherman, a sheep herder, and a carpenter. We may never ever understand the choices that are made around us and even those in our own lives, at least not until we attempt to learn the character and the purpose that got us here in the first place. We're going to attempt on this episode to try to answer the question, why me, Lord? On this episode of They Call Me Mr. You, which starts right now. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the All Purpose Pod for an All Purpose Life. With your weekly mirror check before you go change the world, baby. You know how we do it. I'm your host, Mr. You. Come on! Woo! Oh yeah, oh yeah, welcome back to the All-Purpose Pod for an All-Purpose Life. We ascribe to be your weekly mirror check before you go change the world. We're in season two, and you know how we do. How are you hearing us today? How are you listening to our podcast? Thank you so much for making a Call Me Mr. You part of your morning, your day, and your week. Come on, let's get it! what I'm talking about. Thank you again for joining us. We most definitely appreciate the support on our social media platforms, on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Pandora, and Spotify. Thank you again for joining us on the Call Me Mr. You. We really appreciate it. Everywhere you get your podcast, you can find the Call Me Mr. You. We're in season two and it's going strong. Thanks to you guys. We really appreciate it. Let's jump into the episode for today. At the outset, we talked about the three most ass words in all of biblical history. What's that? Why me, Lord? The Lord has made some curious choices over the years, decades, and centuries that we read about. And sometimes we get to see in our own sphere of existence. And we often don't understand the choices that are made. Why did you pick him? Why, pray tell, did you pick her? There are a lot of things that we just don't understand about the way that God moves. I don't intend to make this super religious. It's not the intention, but we see things and we have questions. Why me, Lord, is a very valid question and one that we all have. Whether we are in the realm of the super religious or we're faithful Christian believers and part of a community, or we're trying to figure some things out in life and we're not sure what we want to do. Why me, Lord, is still a question that gets asked over and over again. We may never ever understand the choices that are made around us and what's going on in our life, the things that we see. But character and purpose are things we need to learn in order to understand a little better at least 
why certain choices get made. Have you ever been in a place in your life where you have asked why? Why did this happen to me? I'm a good person. That person is bad. Maybe it should have happened to them instead. Why am I in this place at this stage of my life? I'm getting older. I should be past this by now. Why am I experiencing this conflict at this point with all that I got going on? I don't need this right now. Why do I feel the way I do? I thought I was over this, but all of a sudden it's all come flooding back all over again. Like it never left. Why, why, why? Why me, Lord? If you never asked any of these questions before in your life, I would be very surprised and I advise that you reevaluate where you are. You may have a serious problem because we all have asked ourselves these questions, these why questions. Why is this happening to me? Why in this stage of my life am I still at this place? Why am I experiencing this kind of conflict? Why do I feel like I'm under assault? Why am I being thrust into a situation that I'm totally not comfortable with? Because everybody faces a situation that they simply don't understand. You're not exempt. We all run into a wall. We all find ourselves stretched beyond measure. We all find ourselves asking why when we encounter something that was not part of our original master plan. We ask why when our help or the answers to our prayers don't resemble what we envisioned exactly for ourselves. Even if not literally, we all have raised our hands to the heavens, asking the creator, why, why? Why did you give me this? I thought we had an arrangement. I thought we were cool. I thought we were boys. When I told you what I wanted, I thought you understood that this is what I meant. Not that, what you gave me. This is how it was supposed to make me feel. This is how my life is supposed to look. Here's a question not off topic whatsoever. But I asked this so we can take a hard stop and look at ourselves like for real, for real. Like for once in our life, maybe. Think about this before you answer, please. What would your life be like if you had your way in every area where you wanted something? What would your life be like? If nobody ever told you no and there was a yes for everything you ever asked for, everything you ever dreamed, what would your life look like? Would you actually have a life? I mean, everything and everybody you want. What would it look like in your deepest and greatest imagination? What if there were no limits and you can have it all? See, now while you are pondering that answer, I can safely surmise that all or most of your answers most likely have nothing to do with anyone else. I'm just taking a shot in the dark here, but I'm pretty confident that that's the case. They probably have no mention of kingdom, probably no mention of salvation or healing of nations, any deliverance of any kind. It's more likely that it solves all of your immediate problems. You probably gain revenge on all of your worst enemies. You show the world how, how baller you are and everybody's jealous of you and they're hating on you and want to be like you. It may lift you up on a higher socioeconomic scale, might provide you status, recognition. Maybe you feel relevant because you got what you want. 
I'm not trying to load up on you. I'm just making a point today. As a matter of fact, just the opposite. I want to take some of the load off of you. Why am I so sure about this? Despite your potential protest right now and how you may feel about what we're talking about today. It's because I know you. That's why. What do I mean? I don't know your life. And I don't know where you all came from. I don't know every specific part of your journey, every milestone, every bump in the road. But I know you. Because you're like me. Maybe not in some of the ancillary, superficial ways, but at the core, you're human, just like me. We want for our own good first. That's just being honest. In actuality, it's natural. Perhaps not in a good way, but it is natural. We seek our own good first. We seek our own preservation first. We hope and dream and go for our own betterment, for our own comfort first. It's always above people. It's always above families. It's always above friends. It's always above kingdom. And you know what? This is going to make your skin crawl a little bit. It might make the hairs on the back of your head lift up a little bit. It might make you cringe, but it's also above God. What you want is usually above all of those areas that we say are important. It's the human in us. You can protest and tell me that you're holy and righteous. And I might listen for a little while. But I may respond with asking you to look around us. I mean, really, 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 really look around us. How will you describe the state of our world today? There's a lot of blame being passed around. But rarely do you hear anyone point the finger at themselves and admit their small role in what we are seeing locally and globally. We just ignore it or we don't think about it. We play more than a small part in what's going on in the world around us. Do you remember elementary school by any chance? Can anybody recall their time in elementary school? We weren't given a steady dose of algebraic equations then or calculus formulas. We were given crayons and pencils and asked to learn our alphabet and draw pictures and tell the rest of the class how we would help the world be a better place. Remember that? Yeah, it wasn't your elementary school, but it was certainly mine. Those answers that come from the mouth of these little babes will bring tears to your eyes. To many these days, it just sounds cute because we love them so much. They want the world to be a better place for everyone, no matter how they look, no matter where they're from. They want every little boy and girl to be able to play together, have fun, have naps, and eat snacks together. They want every little boy and girl to always have a juice, a juice box and never go without. They don't want to see little children in cages like dogs. They don't want to see small infant babies lying under the rubble of war and conflict. They don't want to see happiness. I mean, they want to see happiness in animals and puppies and rainbows, smiles, happiness and joy and all that. That's from the eyes of elementary school children. But they have no idea that their parents who think so differently and whose dreams are radically different than theirs. They're unaware that their tender, innocent dreams are being thwarted by those in their own household because they don't line up with the corporate vision. They're not privy to the fact that the world is a little bit different and is a harsher reality than what they can see from their little vantage point. But we've seen it, haven't we? We see it much differently, actually. 
don't we? I'm not sure we even believe that we can change the world. Some of our actions don't suggest that, that we believe that. I think from the preponderance of evidence, evidence that we have, that we can see, we are now more focused on making our own personal world better, even if it means the demise of the rest of the world around us on the perimeter. What do I mean? I know I need to explain that. How did you honestly answer the questions I asked you a little earlier? Can you honestly say that you evaluated the cost of the world around you to achieve all of the things you wanted for just you? Very few, if any, ever do that. If you answered it honestly, most of the answers were really about you and you being in a better place. You made a beeline focus to all those areas that are kind of challenging in your life. And you would rather have them be taken away. Not you overcome them and you rise above them, but they be taken away. Paul had a thorn in his flesh. Whatever it was, it's been speculated a number of different things, but whatever it actually was, it was bothering him so much that he was like, Lord, for me to do your service, me to serve you the way I know I need to, I need you to take this thing off of me. Remove this from my life so I can be able to serve you and get past this because it's bothering me every single minute, every day. Every part of my life is affected by this. So remove this thorn from my flesh so I can be able to go forward and do, who I, do what I need to do and be who I need to be. The Lord's answer was, no, my grace is sufficient. In other words, I'll give you the strength to handle this thorn. I'm not taking away the challenge. I'm not taking away the rough stuff. I'm not taking away the burden. I'm not taking away the mountain. My grace covers you. I'm with you while you go through this. Those are the kind of answers that we want to hear. Can you honestly say that when you answer those questions, you thought about the world at large? Honestly, we want what we want, don't we? Not a comfortable topic, but here we are. We're here. Might as well go ahead and walk it all the way out. We want what we want. It's the ugly underbelly of the human experience. I want this. If you get in the way of me having this, I will run you down on my way to getting this thing that I want so much. I don't care who has to be trampled, but I have to get there. I don't mean any harm, but anything that gets in the way of my dream or that threatens my family having the very best in life will be annihilated. You probably never said those words in your entire life, but our actions are translated as such. If you saw that played out in a movie, and you probably have, you probably had that visceral reaction of seething anger and contempt, which you probably did. It may have never even crossed your mind you may have been partially or indirectly guilty of the same thing, you very well might be. This is the human experience laid out in Technicolor. Now let's turn this entire idea on its ear. You know how we do. Let's put out another scenario as the standard for living, dreaming, and goal setting. This might be radical in nature, but maybe if we can, maybe, see this as a new way, this might be helpful. Maybe you don't think anything needs changing or you're doing a holy, morally good, righteous thing very well 
and your new system works just fine for you and your family. I want to share a quick account from Isaiah 64. We talked about it a little bit last week, but we're going to talk about it a little again today. It's talking about righteous people doing righteous things. We're not talking about scoundrels and sinners and idolaters. This is talking about righteous people and how what they do in their quest for righteousness looks to the Lord. How it feels to him. I'm going to read it out for you real quick. It's Isaiah 64 verse 6 all the way to verse 8. It says, we are all infected and impure with sin. That's enough right there by itself. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall. And our sins sweep us away like the wind. Yet no one calls on your name or pleads with you for mercy. Therefore, you have turned away from us and turned us over to our sins. And yet, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We all are formed by your hand. A lot of things there to, to unpack. We're going to try to move through them piece by piece if we can. So let's go ahead and start with the obvious. We are all infected with sin. It's an inescapable fact that this was the condition of man. It's the sole reason why we needed the Savior and the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ in the first place. We needed the atonement because we were already infected with sin. Infected is a strong word, but the, the visual nature of that should help you understand the state that we were in. There weren't enough good deeds being done on the entire earth to atone for the stench of sin that we brought to the table. Now, I say it often, but it still holds true. If left to our own devices, we alone, man, would be the single most destructive device ever. And we would literally obliterate ourselves, mainly because of our own lust for power, relevance, influence, domination, and most times for some kind of personal glory. If left to our own devices, we would destroy everything to gain something that amounts to nothing. Did you hear that? If left to our own devices, we would destroy everything to gain something that amounts to nothing. We would destroy everything to gain something that amounts to nothing. I think we have forgotten that we are indeed the clay and God is the potter. I think we forgot that. We are still living in that year-round Santa Claus complex that we suffer from. We tell our parents what we want. We throw our bodies across aisle five and scream bloody murder until our parents relent and give us that juice box. We ask for it and we get it or else there's hell to pay. Just so we're clear and we're not leaving any room for misinterpretation here. This ideology that we ask and we get no matter what, and no matter who it hurts, no matter if it hurts us and we deserve whatever we can hope for, originates from a very evil and wicked place. Actually, hell has the copyright and patents pending on this idea. We take that same mentality and place it in the realm of the kingdom of God and think we can call him up and tell him what we want. For real? And then blammo, it appears. Like a genie. Here to grant us three wishes. Yeah, hell has a patent on that one as well. It's not the other way around. We are on the potter's wheel. And we don't get to decide how we're fashioned. We don't get to decide the shine, the shape, the materials, the density. We are yielded in more than capable hands of the potter. Because at the end of the day, we are clay. At the end of the day, we are clay. 
Feel free to say that one more over and over again. And it rhymes, so yeah, it's cool. At the end of the day, we're clay. So rarely in all of our doing, righteous or otherwise, do we think about how it impacts others or how it makes the author of righteousness himself, God himself, feel. We just do it because it makes us feel good, right? And a lot of times, that's our primary goal, to feel good, to feel relevant. At the end of the day, we are clay. Pliable, moldable, flexible, malleable, adaptable, compliant, clay. At the end of the day. Please allow me to share a short story with you about a man by the name of Gideon. Yes, like the Bibles in your hotel room, but slightly different. One similarity is that he found himself also, also in a place or situation one might not expect. Now, during this time, the Israelite nation were at their humanly worst. They were doing what was considered evil in the eyes of the Lord himself. Most of the evil was idol worship. But just to backtrack, when we were talking earlier about our dreams and goals, how they often suited us only and were only for our benefit and not for the benefit of anyone else. Yeah, that's what modern day idolatry looks like, just so you know. We don't have to have a statue of a golden cow to make a bad first impression. We can do that with our cars, our children, our jobs, our money, our positions. The people, not much different than today, were doing what was right in their own eyes. If it looks good, it must be good. If it feels right, then it has to be right. If someone gets hurt on my way to glory, oh well, sorry, not sorry. The people did what was right in their own eyes. And many times, we fall prey to that today. The evil was so prevalent that the Israelites were defeated and overtaken in battle by the Midian armies and kept in captivity for seven years. Now, I grew up with guys that had that, you know, that kind of mindset that you know, I worry about the consequences. I worry about the consequences later. I'm gonna do what I want to do right now. The idea of a seven-year bid in jail didn't mean nothing to them. They were showed in their disregard for the law and for the people. They take their punishment and usually be back out on the streets in around seven years. They share a striking resemblance to the children of Israel to me. They have their fun and worry about it later kind of mentality. This captivity was different than a seven-year bid in prison, though. The Midianite rule was next-level oppressive. Just to give you a picture of what the scriptures is talking about. We can call it economic sabotage. Everything that they built was torn down by the Midianites. Everything they planted was uprooted and, and taken from them. Not taxed at an exorbitant rate. Taken, snatched, grabbed, housed. If they had a great harvest of crops, it was either taken or kept by the Midianite forces or trampled so the children of Israel couldn't benefit from it either. That's brutal, man. Get the visual here. These enemy forces would camp out on the little land that the Israelites had and demolish anything they tried to grow from crops to livestock. They ravaged everything. If they didn't take it, if they, if they didn't take it, they destroyed it. Now, obviously, the Israelites were at a point of starvation because if somebody's taking all your crops and all your livestock or destroying it, you don't have anything to eat. Hello. So they were at the point of starvation during this seven year period. They couldn't store food. And the animals and plants they would have been that would have been food sources were rendered useless. And had no value because of the oppressive rule of the Midianites. Now, the children 
literally had nothing of value to eat or could contribute to a positive legacy. They had nothing. It was the equivalent of having a brown paper bag with everything that mattered in it, but a hole in the bottom of the bag. Fill it up all you want. At the end of the day, you won't have anything. That was captivity in this scenario. That was the life of those that saw deliverance up close and personal many times before and were made free from bondage, but returned to it, albeit a worse, a worse version of it. It's like clockwork. Israelite children who had other foreign gods on speed dial all before this started calling on the name of the Lord. Like clockwork. It's really cool they still remember his number. It's really cool. God answered their cries because he's a faithful God and sent them a messenger to remind them of all of his promises and all the ways he delivered them and all that he warned them to guard against. Kind of like a holy ghost I told you so, I guess. He reminded them that despite all the gods they stored up and even their oppressive captivity they're in right now under the Midianites, he was still the only true and living God. Come on. One thing to think about. Disobedience will delay your relief. Disobedience will delay your relief. These people were hungry, probably hangry by now. Actually starving for natural nourishment. Now, as much as you may hate to hear this, father does know best. You may think if you were in control, you would have did things differently. Father does know best. If the Lord brought them food, they probably would have eaten it until they passed out and very likely ignored the words they were about to hear. They needed to hear the correction. They needed the reminders of the promises, which... I find really interesting. I'm a hard stop right here. I find it really interesting when I think about how many times we avoid being in a place where we can learn. We avoid being in a place where we can be counseled, encouraged, inspired. It doesn't have to be church. That's a good example of it. Places where we can be in the midst of mentors who care about where we are and want to see us go to the next level. And not just remain where we are in comfort. It's amazing how we can ignore that and put that off for other things that don't even feed us. Just something I was just thinking about. Random thought. But they needed to hear the reminders of the promises. I'd even imagine they heard about the manna and the quails in the wilderness for years. Their relatives were well acquainted with that. They heard the story. They know what happens. And still, this happened. Judges 6 and 12 in part said the angel of the Lord came and sat down where Gideon was harvesting wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. A couple of things are happening right here in Judges 6 and 12. There was obviously uh, what we would call in religious circles a holy visitation. This is where the Lord would make an introduction to a member of his people. Perhaps providing instructions, perhaps activating a particular gifting in ministry or giving a cause or a mandate to go forth and do something. In this case, Gideon was harvesting wheat in a wine press. Now, obviously, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to understand that wheat and wine press don't generally go together. In the wine, they call it a wine press because wine is manufactured in that place. 
So you definitely don't harvest wheat in that place. But he did that because he was hiding. Fear caused him to do strange things for strange reasons. Fear does that. So he was harvesting wheat in a place where it's not normally to be harvested. And to tell you the truth, there's a good chance that any kind of wine that's produced there could be contaminated because of a foreign element in a place it does not belong. Something to think about. Now, he had an option in mind for the deliverance of his people, God did. His people, Israel. Now, God's choice for leadership was hiding in fear from the Midianites, harvesting wheat in a wine press. You don't have to be an expert to understand that these things shouldn't be done in the same location. Someone came along and, and someone can come along and see Gideon as fearful. I mean, he was considered the least in his tribe, a scared little man, so to speak. His tribe was the least among all the tribes. They had very little notoriety. How is it that God, in answering the prayers of his people, sends the angel of the Lord to this little man to say these words, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Gideon is hiding in a wine press, harvesting wheat hoping that Midianites don't find him and take it away from their family and they won't be able to eat. He's concerned about the ability to eat and provide and live. Has your fear of how you might look or how others may feel ever been bigger than your why? The reason why you need to do what you do? Gideon countered the words of the angel by asking out loud, if the Lord is with us, why has all this stuff happened to us? Why has he abandoned us? Why are we oppressed by these Midianites? Where are the wonders? Where's the deliverance at? The angel's response to Gideon was, go in the strength that you have and save Israel. You are being sent. Here's a question for you to ponder today as well. Have you ever been given a task that seemed way over your head, but you felt like you had to do it? Have you ever been given a task that's way over your head, it felt like, but you know you had to do it? I'll go ahead and own this. It's not easy to look past your own life. I know that. Your scars, your deficiencies, your history, your failures, and see bright future. Earlier in the episode, I asked you guys to check yourselves if you don't have any challenges and everything is going just right. It's because life, when lived well, is full of conflict. We can be the most saved, most inspirational, to influential person in the whole world and still have to beat back your past just to have a sniff of a bright future. It's unavoidable. So many of you are being called out of and called into something. It's not one or the other. It's always both. Your past is rocket fuel for your future. You might have a chip on your shoulder, but the Lord has a point to make and a glory to receive unto himself. And your life, matter of fact, the life of every person holds that potential to make the statement that the Lord wants to make, to initiate the kind of change and deliverance that God wants to initiate. There's not a world changer among you that changes the world for themselves. It's always for a people, always for a nation. And it's always bigger than just us. I mean, be honest. Think about it. Was Joseph's God-sized dreams just about him? Was the skills David developed by herding sheep only to profit his own lifestyle? Was the tugging on Jeremiah's heart for Jerusalem simply to make his own name great? Was Gideon's choice for leadership obvious to you? No, 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 and eh, eh Like it was for these mighty servants, so shall it be for you. You are often never going to understand God's choice for leadership. Even if it's you, 
you will also you will also rarely, if ever, you're gonna understand when you're the choice being made. Have you ever looked at your life, yourself, your experiences, your current situation, and struggled to see how it matches what God's word is saying about you? Can you be honest about that? Have you ever looked at your life, yourself, your experiences, your current situation, and struggled to see how it matches what God's word is saying about you? This account is one of the greatest, in my humble opinion, in biblical history. It is the story of a little man. It is the story of the unassuming champion. No one would have suspected it. No one would have seen it coming. It is the surprise of a lifetime. I wish we had more time to tell the entire story. But take a walk through Judges chapter 6 all the way to chapter 8 and you'll be amazed like I was. I can only imagine how many times the Midianites passed by Gideon and his family and thought nothing about them. Saw them of no relevance or no consequence whatsoever. It never crossed their mind that he was a threat to their oppressive domination. They walked past him probably millions of times. Never even sniffed the idea of a threat against their kingdom. They never considered the little man they passed by with disdain and mockery would end up being their undoing. People are counting you out. People are seeing you as the little man or little woman. They are seeing you as insignificant and inadequate. But you're going to be the undoing to a lot of big things that are going on around you that are not good. That have been going on for a while. You're going to be a symbol and an instrument for the undoing of a lot of things. I believe God wants to use you as an instrument, just like Gideon. Gideon asked the angel, like any of us probably would, how can I save Israel? My tribe is the least of all the tribes. I'm the least in my family. I have no fighting skills. I have no pedigree in this arena. The Lord has abandoned us. The Lord has abandoned us, and I'm scared that I might die any day now. I'm hiding in a wine press, harvesting our wheat so we can eat. So why me, Lord? In typical God fashion, he answers like he did with Moses. David and Samuel and so many others. I will be with you and you will strike down every enemy and none will be left alive. In other words, for the uninitiated, don't worry yourself about the how. Just keep your eyes on the who. I'm fighting this battle even though the sword and the staff is in your hands. I got the strategy. I got the army. I got the power. Bet you're hearing that song right now, aren't you? You got the power. He didn't commission Gideon because he was the strongest, the bravest, the wisest, or the most talented. It wasn't any of that. He called him because he was not any of those things, but an underdog, unsuspecting, a great, the greatest Cinderella story of all time. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Moses couldn't speak publicly. Abraham and Sarah were too old to make babies. David was too inexperienced to be a king. The list goes on and on and on. Before we end the episode for today, can I tell you two things about Gideon and also about you? Number one, it's about them, not you. Number one, it's about them, not you. When you are called out of and into a situation, it is always for the people around you more than it is for you. Please remember that. It's always about the people around you. God is thinking about all of them more than just you. 
but there's always something that's going to be required of you in these called out and called into situations. Although Gideon, although Gideon knew of the Lord, idolatry was still a part of his daily life. They were on the walls, at the doors, always the presence in his household instead of the presence of the Lord. God was lending his presence to set Israel free from captivity and bondage. But look where he started. He started in Gideon's house first. When God calls you out of a place into another place, be prepared that God is going to call for you to be first partakers of what he wants to do in the nation, in the country, in your neighborhood, in your community. It's going to start with you. Gideon can't return to his home in victory and share God's glory with other gods in his household. They had to be removed. It's time for all of us to pick a presence. Number two, fear will have you doing the wrong things for the wrong reasons in the wrong places. Now, some of you are trying to harvest your wheat in a wine press because you're afraid to lose what you think really matters in life. The people you think really matters in life. The ideas and the goals you think really matter in life. You don't want to be judged or evaluated. You don't want to be responsible or accountable to other people. You're focused on your weaknesses and your scars. And the Lord is saying to you, I know what you've been through. But your experience has nothing to do with what I can do. I'm going to perform this despite your shortcomings. I am God. And there is none like me. Your wheat will never be the best that it can be. If it's out of position in the wine press. If you're in the wine press, when you should be on the harvesting floor, you could miss your moment. Don't let fear rob you of what belongs to you. Choose victory over captivity. See, it's okay to ask, why me, Lord? Just don't run away when you hear the answer. God is calling people just like Gideon. You may be considered the least in your family. You may be more known for tending the sheep than you are with doing other things of a higher status or a higher level. God is calling those that are the least in their tribe. And when you're saying, why me? He's saying, go with what I've given you. Go as I sent you. You may have the sword and the staff in your hand, but God's doing the fighting and God's gained you the victory. Before you even step out onto the battlefield. There isn't a scar or a broken place or a weakness God is not aware of. He can do great things in spite of those and get the glory out of them. I'm going to say, I said it before, I'm going to say it one more time. Maybe two more times. Maybe even three more. At the end of the day, we are the clay. At the end of the day, we are the clay. At the end of the proverbial day, we are the clay. Let the potter use you for his glory. He's calling you for a time such as right now. Why me, Lord? Why not me, Lord? Guys, have a great day. Thank you for joining our podcast today. Wherever you are, however you're hearing our podcast, thank you again for making a comment, Mr. You, part of your morning, your day, and your week. We so appreciate you guys. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Let it marinate. Have a great day. Coach out. Thanks again for listening to the Call Me Mr. You, the podcast. Hope you enjoyed the show. 
Please like, share, and subscribe to our YouTube channel for all of our full-length live episodes. And of course, if you're an audio listener, wherever you enjoy your podcast listening, you can find They Call Me Mr. You, the podcast. Hope you enjoyed the show. Go change the world. Coach out.